Okay, so we're going to uh, start tonight and we're really going to dig into chapter two. Uh, you, of course, have no doubt watched the video already and, and uh, have a little bit more information now about how we interpret the definitions. And for 2021, the definitions are going to be our lifeline. The more we can uh, understand those, interpret those definitions, the better. Um, I do uh, want to say that I had, let me see here, one second before I share my screen. Pulled up here the actual guidelines, but I did actually pull up the AAPC, uh, their audit sheet. Um, I, if you remember, I, I uh, I think I emailed, I think I emailed you guys to let you know that it had been released. And so it's, I added it to the classroom um, uh, materials. And so it'll be under chapter two class materials. You'll see a bunch of things there. I think chapter two will have the most materials <laughs> that you'll see because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. And you're going to have access to this course for the next, over the next year. So you'll probably see a lot of updated materials, things that come out that I'm going to share with everybody as I get them. Um, but this is a nice little audit sheet only because it gives the definitions right there for you. So if you get lost, you're auditing a chart, you have the definitions right there for you to, to glance at while you're coding. So this is a really great tool. Um, there are some parts of it that I thought were a little bit hard to read and understand. So hopefully I can make it a little more simple to read for you. Um, I know one of the main things that people, at least right now, are uh, having a hard time with is the data portion. Um, I've had a lot of people actually come to me and ask me questions about the unique test um, thing here. So for the data, I just want to highlight this real quick, and I have an article that I found that I'll send you guys an email on. Um, so really quickly for the data, um, hi, Mishy. <laughs> I'm glad you joined in. Um, so the it says that a test, of course, we know a test is a lab diagnostic imaging, uh, psychological data a panel. And just to remind everybody, um, it's a unique test. So CPT defines a unique test, right? So a CPT code. So for instance, they give you the example 80047, which is one example of a panel. When you get a lab test like a CBC or one of those uh, panels, it has several tests in it. So if CPT bundles a bunch of tests in a code, they're saying you can't unbundle those and count them individually. <laughs> you have to do one test. Just to remind everybody of that, I think I've mentioned that before. Um, but when it comes to the unique test, this is something that I, and I asked another um, auditor um, that I know that has been doing, she's an excellent, you know, auditor and she's been doing the 30 years. So I trust her opinion, uh, Terry Fletcher. So I got it from her and she confirmed with me. And this is from NAMIS. This is the National Auditing Association. And a lot of your um, CPMA uh, courses will use NAMIS's information. They're an authority on ENM coding and auditing. So I wanted to share this. Um, it asks the question, what counts as a unique test when evaluating medical decision making? This is a really great article that I think um, kind of might uh, help with that. Uh, we want to know as far as in the category section, it says we can use the combination of two of the following. So how do we interpret that? Well, we, it mentions here. Uh, so a different interpretation of the same language in 2021 is that they do not uh, result in any material difference in 9597 guidelines. But as you remember from the previous audit sheet, they used to say that you couldn't um, 
double dip on the, the different, like you couldn't say you ordered and reviewed uh, kind of from the same section of CPT. So like radiology, um, and so an MRI and a CT, normally you could only count that once because they all belong in the radiology section of CPT. But now it doesn't matter. Now it's like you can count each individual test. So just keep that in mind. You count the test. If you need two, um, of the combinations and you have two tests you're ordering, you can count that as two. So if you don't have a review of labs or whatever, where you're ordering two things that you're not reporting that day on the claim, then you can count that as two in individual tests. So as we see on the audit sheet, we'll scroll down here. Um, so review the results of each unique test. They have this times one here because Mathematically, we can times anything times one, it's the same number. So you can put a two there and you would so you get two, right? And that would tell you you have two um, items there you can use. So if we go to the guidelines, scroll down here, let's go to the table. I think it was the moderate section that did that. So it says here, um, okay, it was three. So you, in order to do category one for the moderate, uh, you have to have three of the following. So if you order two tests, that gives you two items there. You just need one more if you're gonna use category one. If you have an independent return patient of results that you're not reporting that day and that you didn't order and it's a separate independent interpretation, then you can use category two. But if you're relying on category one, just make sure you have three of the following. But again, if you're ordering two or three things, you can have it there because it's each unique test. So um, I think they wanted to make that clear because um, it was a little ambiguous at first. <laughs> so when you're going over the cases in your book um, and or if you're doing something in the live environment um, on the job, you have a question, um, please let me know if, if there's a situation that you're just kind of stuck on um, and I can help you out with that or do my best to point you in the right direction at least as to which spot on the sheet you need. Um, and if you have any questions as I'm talking, um, go ahead and use the chat box and type those in. Oh, I see somebody raised their hand, so let's do this. I like this. <laughs> the raise your hand function is nice. Okay, I'm going to let you unmute yourself, Michi. Hi. Um, I have a question that keeps coming up, and it is whether you, if you um, order a test and then you wind up reviewing it, <laughs> you count each one as a um, point. The, see, this is the tricky part. It's so ambiguous right now um, because so many payers might interpret it differently. As far as I know, um, CMS doesn't agree with that. CPT might be okay with it. I did find an article, and I'll, I'll send it to you all um, afterwards. Um, but this article from NAMIS had the same thing, but they didn't, they didn't agree with that, or they didn't come out and say it really because that was one of the questions everyone keeps having. And so when you read this article, I'll have you go down and, and review it yourself and see what you think. These are called gray areas, they call them. Um, there was two um, authorities that I usually look at and one of them is Coding Intel and the other one is um, NAMIS for the auditing. They didn't really have like a good uh, explanation of it, but other places I've looked, they're saying it's not appropriate. Right. Well, so, what if it's a session? What if you order the test and then you have the patient coming back and follow up? At that point, you're reviewing it. You hadn't reviewed it previously with the patient. See, see and my interpretation of that is that's allowed. We're just going to have to wait and see how different payers interpret it. 
um, as far as I'm understanding, it's allowed, but because you really would have to go back and you'd have to make sure you go back to the previous note and see if you used it at that point. But it's, it's really going to be hard to audit that. Um, I mean, the auditors would really have to, to kind of really dig in if they're going to try to knock points off for us for doing that. I, I just don't think it's going to be easy for auditors to, uh, to interpret that. Um, I think, I personally think that according to the definition and the guidelines that it should be allowed because you're not separately reporting the claim that on, on the claim that day. So if you're reviewing it with the patient, um, it, it should count as a review. But the one thing that they, they keep coming back to that I'm still kind of in, wondering about is this definition here. It really depends on how we're using it. Is it a review of a prior external note or are we using it as a review of the results of a unique test? So I think it's a definition of unique, but we'll have to wait to see how they interpret it down the road. Um, there hasn't been definite like uh, information yet, but I'm, I'm waiting the call on CMS's call they have every week. I'm gonna get on it this week and see if I can ask that question um, because I, th I think we all need more clarification on that. Thank you. You are welcome. I know that's a, that's a big one. It's definitely a big one. Um, let me see if I can find that article. I know it was, uh, they, it was uh, Coding Intel. Here it is, yeah. FAQs, they had a bunch of these on here and that was one of the main ones that they were asking about. Uh, let's see here. It's down here. Okay, so patient returns to the office and lab tests are imported from the prior. Oh, that's not it. Let's see. There we go. If I order, and this is what they kind of got me on. If I order and bill for a quick strep test in my office, do I count the order of the review or the or both? Um, and they say or reviewed. There's all these little questions like that, and I really it's it's so ambiguous. <laughs> and it's just it's so hard to say how they want us to do this. Um, let me find the one that I was looking for up further here i think um here we go this is this is the one i was looking for if i order an mri on september 20th and review it as a follow-up on the 27th do i count the order on the 20th and the review on the 27th i didn't bill for the mri or the interpretation and they're saying no according to cpt ordering a test is included in the category of test results and the review of the test result is part of the encounter and not a subsequent encounter so this is where they're interpreting CPT guidelines. So that's why I say we're gonna to have to wait to see how individual payers interpret that. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's go actually and have everybody. Now I know Mishy, you don't have your book yet because you just started, but tonight we did plan on going over some of the cases. So I'm going to read them, and if you have your books handy, um, we're going to go over just a few that we picked out. Um, so we're going to go over cases four, uh, I think it was seven, eight, and ten. 
So number four, I'm just gonna read it out loud so that we can kind of get the full picture here. And then I'm gonna show you, you have the answer sheet online too, and we're gonna break it down. So case study number four was a 70 year old female, new patient. So there we have our first category. We know it's new, we know that's the first step, right? Um, and then it, it talks about her being depressed. Um, and I'm not gonna read the full thing because it's just gonna be hard for us at first, I know, because we're so used to looking at history, we're so used to looking at exam, and those items are important to show the continuity of the note as it flows into the MDM. But in 2021, we don't have to use it, uh, but still read it. So she, they, they talk about her distress, um, mental distress, um, and then he goes into his exam portion. Um, he performs an appropriate neurological exam, it says, and he finds no remarkable findings. Um, and then he goes into what he's going to do. He's gonna have them return. The patient will also be evaluated by a specialist in neurology for impaired attention and declining memory. A referral is generated. Keep in mind with neurology, that's one of those main specialties if that they do a lot of, uh, there's a lot of unknowns with neurology because of the mental state of the patient. So they refer them or they have to order a test Always uh, remember you have your undiagnosed new problem to on your um, your first column there. That's use that when you can because it'll get you a higher level most of the time. Um, so try to fit that on one of your diagnosis options if you can get there. Use that undiagnosed new problem. I started auditing in neurology, so that's why it's fresh in my mind. That <laughs> was my first specialty that I audited for, and so I remember specifically learning that. Um, so then he goes into um, mentioning because dementia is thought to be a likely comorbidity, a CBC, vitamin B12 test, a TSH, and a comprehensive metabolic panel are ordered. Which MDM levels and EM codes would you report? So let's look at um, how this is broken up here. So for number, um, for this case study here, um, we, they chose a four. So when you look at your audit sheet, we do have the one undiagnosed new problem with uncertain prognosis. That's where we can use that because they did refer the patient because they do feel that there is a, a likelihood of it, it, that impaired um, declining memory. They want to refer the patient. But they also are ordering something. Um, and anytime they order something, they don't know what they have, right? They're trying to diagnose them. It's a diagnostic test. So that's considered an undiagnosed new problem. Now the amount of data complexity. So for category one, uh, we look at that and you're gonna have to compare all of them. I mean, the answer here they, we picked out was because we use category one um, because they did the uh, assessment uh, required independent historian. Their uh, parent was there doing that. And so that's another item. Even though we're not coding with the history, the history is important, right? Because if we're going to use the independent historian, we have to have that evidence, don't we? Um, so that item can be used if we have that. They ordered each unique test. There were four of them, right? Um, and we didn't have a review of the results or prior external notes. So, but we did meet it, didn't we? So we did meet the moderate there for that um, new patient in the data category one. So keep in mind, you can just kind of compare all three categories, but you may not, you may get, get it all in category one and not have to go to the other two. Um, but that's, of course, something to keep in mind. And then again, remember, it's two of the three. <laughs> so hopefully, if we don't get enough data, we can still get it in the risk. And, and then, of course, if we don't, it's an education moment, right, for our providers. It's an education moment 
letting them know uh, what more documentation we could possibly need to help them in that area. Um, the risk, moderates. A moderate risk for morbidity from additional diagnostic testing or treatment. So let's go to our audit sheet. Okay, so here is our undiagnosed new problem right here. And we have, uh, we only had to have three of the following. We really just met it in the test, didn't we? <laughs> we had individual tests, unique tests that were ordered. So we really did meet it there. Um, but we did have the independent historian as well. So we met it there. Um, and then they give you examples here of the risk, prescription drug management, um, but it also mentions um, other things too. We didn't really need we didn't really need this, but um, it actually um, we got it with these two. So just kind of decide what's going to get you the the highest level there. Um, I think I want to say that they probably got the the SDOH for them for the moderate here. Yes. So. I do struggle with the amount and complexity of data the most. And so I'm looking mm -hmm. at the answer key for number four. So I just wanted to ask, um, do I get to then count four tests as meeting four of category one? Yes. Along with the independent historian, which is what then makes it be able to be a level four, right? Yeah, you only need three three of the combination. So we met it anyway, just with the unique test option. Um, so you do get to count them. Yes, you do. And I was I was pleasant. I was pleased to be able to express that to you this evening because <laughs> I know that was a question that you had. So um, that right. is. Yeah, so that's why we need it there. And that was confirmed with the AMA's uh, answer sheet as well as I confirmed it with that article and Terry Fletcher confirmed it for me as well. So I had three separate um, individual areas that I confirmed that with. So that's a nice little benefit. Um, if we remember, like I said, currently, if we have an X-ray MRI, we can't separate them out. We get one point for just that category now on our audit sheet. But now in 2021, we get to count the individual tests, which is nice. It's a nice benefit that's different. As long as I don't then use those individual tests to count for reviewing those individual tests. So I don't That's the way I understand it. Like I said, again, we're going to have to wait and see how individual payers interpret that. And I think very soon we're going to have more information come out. We're almost in January. So I'm hoping more payers are going to give us some insight on their interpretation of that. Um, right. But yeah, I know it's a, it's a gray area. Like there are a lot of gray areas in A&M. So, um, so for this one, remember, yeah, two of the three categories. So um, you can, of course, we get the, with the um, data and the diagnosis options. So let's go to number, I think it was number seven that I had next, let's see. Oh, number five, I'm sorry, I picked number five because I wanted to, yeah, that's what it was, number five. So let's go to number five. Um, it's a 28-year-old male uh, brought to the urgent care clinic with a power saw wound. Patient was conscious but nauseated and was accompanied by his girlfriend. A targeted history was obtained and documented. The urgent care physician evaluated and ordered and interpreted a hand x-ray reported separately. There's our key right there. It was reported separately to verify the apparent superficial depth of injury. The exam did not suggest significant tendon, nerve, or vascular injury. 
The physician advised that the wound would require layered closure with sutures. So we're looking for the MDM level there. So uh, one acute uncomplicated illness or injury, we, I definitely agree with that. It's uh, an acute uncomplicated illness or injury. Um, and then the tests and documents. Since the hands x-rays were reported separately, can't count it, can we? We can't count a test and document they reported that day. Um, and they didn't order in a unique test. They ordered a procedure, <laughs> which we're gonna get um, in the low risk category, um, I believe. So let me look at that. Yeah, we didn't get anything there. And it's an it's uncomplicated illness or injury. And then um, they, this is the thing I don't like is they don't give us examples. Uh, and this is one that I struggled with myself because they're going to do a wound closure. That, that is not a major surgery, it's a minor surgery. So you could almost argue for this, but we can't do that because we don't have two, the two that match, you got a meter exceed. So technically it was a minor surgery, but um, there were no um, identified risks. Again, I didn't see any documented. So think about all of those variables when you're looking at uh, the risks. If they're gonna order a procedure of any kind, always check um, these, um, the risk table for four and five uh, and, and see if it matches. But remember, you have to meet or exceed. And we didn't um, meet that category um, because of that. So that's why we're going back to the low for this. Does that make sense? Any questions on why we did it that way? Okay. So I, well, sorry. Yeah. The, so the amount and complexity of data, we get to count the fact that we ordered an x-ray, right? Uh, no, we're not getting anything in data. But. Because it was one they reported separate on the claim. So why on the answer sheet does it have, um, why doesn't it say, oh, it does say none, I see, I'm sorry. No, that's okay, that's okay. Sometimes it's hard to put all that data together and see it all. That's why I picked this example is because sometimes it can be tricky, but it, if they're billing for it that day, we can't count in the data option. It's a, like it says here, a review of an external note, or review the results of a unique test, but it can't be something that we reported on a claim that day. And on in the real world, you're not going to get in parentheses reported separately. <laughs> you're going to have to, uh, you know, look at your actual claim. But just to note, pay attention to all those little variables there. Okay. Right, so you were saying that um, report it says hand X-rays reported separately, meaning someone else billed for them, and it's. You build it that day on your claim. So they're saying that that physician ordered the x-ray, but he's billing it because he's performing in his office, basically. Okay, performing in his office, so he's billing, got it. Yeah, if he's billing for it that day and he ordered it, it's not counted in the data category. Okay, so let's move on to, we'll go to number, the next one here, number eight. Okay, 
So number eight, a six-year-old male presents with a history of snoring, mouth breathing, restless sleeping, waking during the night. Um, his parents describe periods of observed apnea. He has some dysphagia for solid food and is often tired or cranky during the day. An audio recording of his breathing at night has been made. <laughs> um, on physical examination, he has enlarged tonsils. The physician, this is where we always pick up when we look at stuff. What are, what are they ordering? <laughs> what are they doing for the patient? We have to train our brains. That's what we're focusing on in the notes now. They're ordering a lateral neck radiograph, which is a radiology test. The report notes enlarged tonsils and adenoids. What MDM level should be reported? So we do have one or more chronic illnesses with exacerbation, progression, or side effects. And then we have category tests. We didn't have review of a prior one. Um, they did have the neck radiograph. They ordered that unique test. And then we have also category two as an option. Assessment required independent historian. Any questions on that part? Decision regarding elective major surgery. So that's what they're going to do. I think that's what he said, right? Did I read that wrong? I, I didn't. I didn't see the surgery part. Am I missing that? That's what I'm wondering too. And see, this is why and I was trying to review these and sometimes I miss stuff because, and Tasha will back me up on this. I don't always agree with the information that the AAPC or AMA puts out. <laughs> Some of the questions that they, they give us. And I, as I'm reading this, I thought I caught it, but I didn't catch this one. I've reread this several times. Yeah, and so this is one I'm going to mark, actually, and send back to the American Medical Association and say, hey, you messed up on this one. Yeah. So let me go back and say, if we had this information, <laughs> what we would do with it. So this is a good example of that. I thought I caught all these. Yeah. But yeah, I completely understand why this one's confusing. Yeah, there wasn't an elective major surgery on this one. Um, and the other thing I caught as I, as I was looking at this too is um, it's very ambiguous and hopefully like on your actual note, it'll be easier to see obviously, but where it says they ordered a neck radiograph and it says the report no notes. So it's like, we don't really know if he's like interpreting that and if he ordered it then, but we don't know if he reported on the claim that day. So it's like, there's no definite time frame for us. So again, remember to look for the time frame. Are they, is he reviewing something that he previously ordered? Is he going to be uh, interpreting something from another physician, which is an external note that he's actually looking at? Um, and an independent historian is the patient's, you know, parent giving a little bit of that history. So that counts for that. So, I mean, we technically would get it with category two on that one. Um, and I'm trying to see, physicians don't actually have to say with exacerbation. Another thing I want to point out on that one, 
um, sometimes things can be exacerbated um, or like the whole definition is progression or side effects of treatment. So it's a progression there. Um, it's obviously exacerbated when you look at the, the condition the patient has there. So we're not basically physicians, but we have to learn how to interpret what the guidelines say and what the physician's telling us. And if you're, if you're curious about how to interpret that, you can ask the physician too, you know, is this what you mean when you say this? Because you're trying to make the connection from their note <laughs> to the coding and uh, guidelines that we have. And one thing I've learned from several consultants and several educators over my career is that the physicians are not required to use our coding language. <laughs> They're still gonna talk like they've always talked. <laughs> we have to take what they say and translate it into coding language. Um, so I know I have a physician, a physician and he knows the guidelines and so he will actually say acute exacerbation <laughs> because he knows it's on the audit sheet because he's seen one. And so sometimes physicians pick up on that and they will give you that terminology. Um, if you want to educate them and say, hey, can you, can you use these terms? If you can remember to do that, it helps with documentation. I mean, you can ask them to do that, but not, they're not always going to. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily agree with <laughs> the moderate on the risk, but we didn't need it. I don't think so, because um, I think we got it with the uh, historian, but let me look again. Oh no, that's part of the, no it is, it's low, it's not in two, yeah. So I don't agree with that score at yeah, all. Yeah. I, I don't ask you about that. <laughs> I don't agree. No, I don't agree. So here, if you if you see another one like that um, that you don't agree with, reach out to me because my goal here is to educate you based on what we I feel the guidelines are, and it may or may not be against what the AMA is putting out. Because, and like I said in the beginning, this part of coding is the black sheep of the family. It's literally so ambiguous that one coder could say this, one coder could say that. Um, do you have another question, Mishy? Because I know your hand's still up, but or was that from before? Sorry, that was from before. Okay, no, it's okay. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. It's like, oh, it's still up. Maybe you should answer the question. No, um, thank you. You're welcome. And I apologize for this. I, I, I really tried to catch everything today before I came on here. Um, but yes, that is an example that just to watch for that. Now, when let me go, let's just go back and let's review the table again. Let's look at some possible scenarios and kind of roll these around. So here we have, I just want to kind of review some of these so we can kind of clearly see them. Here is that minor surgery. So if they had ordered because I, I want to say maybe they forgot to write that he ordered a tonsillectomy. That's the only thing I could think of because I've coded those before and I think they probably intended to put that in there. They just probably forgot because somebody probably dropped the ball because um, typically that's what they would do is they would remove them. And um, I believe that's an elective major surgery. So it would fall under moderate. So that, that I'm just guessing that could be what the AMA had in mind. So when I email them, I'm gonna mention that to them. You know, if that's what you intended, then maybe you can just update it. It's of course, they can't change it now because the books are already been shipped. <laughs> 
but hopefully they can update their answer sheets for their instructors. So um, decision regarding elective major surgery without identified risk. So it's this, am I sharing my screen still? Make sure. Yes, okay. Um, so yeah, so, and this is one thing to remember too, um, those surgery ones, gotta be really careful because some of them say without risk, some of them say with risks. And we also need to know if a procedure has a 90 day global or a 10 day global or zero, because that is the difference between a minor and major surgery. Um, so if you have an encoder or you can have some way that you can go online and check the global days for a procedure, that's helpful. Um, um, if you code them regularly and you wanna know, put that next to it in your code book. You know, if you know you code something quite often, you wanna remember the global days. A lot of coders just write it in their book next to the code. Um, so, a, so a major surgery without risks, that's the difference between four and five. In five, it's an elective uh, major surgery with risks. A lot of physicians know about this, <laughs> so they will put risks on there, but I do caution coders to be very clear um, and by medical necessity, if you were audited and they said the risks are, are something that's so minimal that it's, they just put something in there and you know that it's really not medically necessary to use it as a risk <laughs> item. Because um, some of them do that. Some of them put, um, I think sometime, one time they put something that, I forget what it was, but it was like, it wasn't something that was a serious condition and they tried to use it to get the high level. So, um, you know, watch for that kind of stuff. If Educate your physicians, you know, um, why do you think this is the high risk for the patient, this condition that they have? Or why is this a significant risk if they have the, the surgery? Just so you can kind of get the idea behind why they're trying to get the high level. But it does say with identified risk, so they just, they try to get that little <laughs> language in there. Um, and then again, we have the difference between the minor also. Um, the minor is found in the moderate. Um, and we don't see that in the high. So that's where we're going to find it. And remember, uh, if you're an ortho like me, um, if, you, if they do those joint injections, those are considered minor surgery. Joint injections are minor surgery, they have a zero day global. So you can count that under moderate if they um, do that without risks. Sometimes they do document risks. So, um, but either way, it's going to be, um, it's going to be that level four. Um, Let's go back, actually, well, we have one more case to do, then we'll go back and let's look at some of the definitions together and just kind of review. Uh, let's go look number 10. And I look forward to Michi getting her book. <laughs> we ordered it, hopefully it'll be here by our next class for sure. You can get, dig in and look at that stuff. Um, so number 10 says, a 26 year old female with a history of medical treatment for pelvic inflammatory disease presents her gynecologist, they order a beta-human chorionic uh, gonadotropin, almost hard to say, HCG test, CBC with differential, and pelvic ultrasound. Results indicate a beta-HCG level of 4,000, and the pelvic ultrasound findings are suggestive of an ectopic gestational sac in the proximal left fallopian tube. The patient is scheduled for emergency surgery to treat the ectopic pregnancy. So they're gonna do emergency surgery. So they wrote high on this. So let's look at this. One acute or chronic illness or injury that poses a threat to life or bodily function. Uh, 
you know, this is something that could definitely lead to lead to that. That's it's a serious condition. Um, as a female, we would probably agree <laughs> that if this was happening to us, we would think it's a major problem. So, um, a lot of times when we're switching our gears now to the MDM, we have to think more clinically if possible and um, do our research because before we relied on our elements, we have this for exam, this for history, but when it comes down to new guidelines, we have to think clinically and may require us to do research, uh, get to know the pathology of a certain disease. Uh, what could happen to a patient if they don't get a procedure for this condition? Learn as much as you can about different conditions. Um, that's one of the things I recommend um, as you're going through this and then into the next year as you're actually looking at live charts and having to do it in the real environment um, that you can actually feel like you know what you're talking about. Um, and then category one, uh, review of prior external notes. And then it says review the results of each unique test, the CBC, beta, HCG, pelvic ultrasound. I don't, it's really hard for me on this example as well. It's another thing I was pointing out is they don't really, they're not really clear. Um, it's that the results indicate, but we don't know when they ordered it. So this is like, this is really ambiguous. So just be careful on that part of it, um, how you, you look at that. Um, and then the risk was decision for major surgery, emergency major surgery. So we got it in the, the first two. Um, the tests I don't agree with. <laughs> um, and we didn't have enough anyway, so they're probably just, just using that um, as what they pulled out of it. Um, but be cautious um, that your actual documentation is clear. If he's ordering it and, um, and he's billing for it that day, you know, be careful of that. Some physicians don't bill for it. Some of them actually allow outside lab bills for things. So that's another thing to keep in mind. It's not going on your claim. So it's a separate, it's not separately reported on your claim. So that to me doesn't count towards that element. It counts towards that element because you're not billing it that day. So that's something you can use if you're not billing it. If you send your labs out, you don't have your own equipment, you're sending that out to, um, to be done. So just be aware of that as well. So Jen, uh -huh. you, can't, you can't, even though it's a three test, you can't count it as moderate because you have to have three from category one along with the independent historian to be able to count. Moderate. Um, let me go back to that one and um, so we can actually review that again. Let me go back to the audit sheet. I should have done that. I have a hard time leveling off of that audit sheet. One of the other tools you gave us, um, I like the middle section for leveling it because I yeah and that's why I give you different ones because everyone's going to have their own preference I personally I'm used to auditing from the old and I actually like just the table like I plan on laminating it and getting me a dry erase marker <laughs> just every time doing that for me that's usually that's probably what I'm going to do next year um, when I first started auditing that's one of my mentors she recommended getting your audit sheet and laminated it and then you just get a dry erase marker and you can reuse it for every patient yeah for sure that's what I that's what I did in the past before now I have now that I had it in my I memorized the sheet in my head which is weird but I didn't have to use an audit sheet after a while I just knew what it was but I won't be doing that in 2021 because I'll need to use it for quite some time until I get used to it um so we have the uh, high um, for the diagnosis. Um, and so here we have to have a combination of three of the following or independent interpretation or discussion. Yeah, so um, in order to get the high for the data, we would have to have three of the following. And that could be three different tests. 
different tests. Um, so that would probably qualify. Actually, now that I look at it, it would qualify because you only need three. I thought we needed more than that, but we only needed three. Ordering of each unique test. So it really would come down to, and this is why some of these, these courses or these uh, additional information that these organizations give you, like examples, they're not really, sometimes they're ambiguous like this. They don't give you enough information. AAPC was really, <laughs> they did that a lot to me <laughs> when I was educating last year. Um, a lot of examples that didn't give you enough information to make an educated decision. And that's one of the things that is hard sometimes. Um, so with that being said, in the real world, you're gonna have what you need. You're gonna, you're gonna have everything in front of you. It's a real live environment. Um, just know your guidelines. Uh, in the real world, you're going to know if he's billing for it that day. <laughs> you're going to know if he's ordering that um, and he's going to review it on the next visit if you already ordered it. You're going to know all that in the live environment. Right. Could you, do you mind, do you have your AAPC audit tool like easily accessible so I can ask you about yeah. the portion of it? This one? Uh, no. This is the APC one. The one you mean the one I created? Uh, maybe yeah. It was the one from your uh, the class that online the presentation the colored one. Oh, okay, yeah. One second. Oh. I do have it somewhere. Give me a moment here. Um, what did I do with it? Or I can share my screen. I know you're recording though, so whatever's easier. I know it's here. Yeah, one sec. I think if I just type in MDM, I'll find it. <laughs> I think I found it. Let's see. Yes, okay, I found it. Okay, so this one? Yes, that one. So I wondered in the middle, kind of, uh, uh -huh. yeah, where your cursor is. So for the moderate category, where it says you only have to have one of three, but it says three for category one, then the backslash IH, does it mean you have to have three for category one and independent historian to be able to mark that box? I don't think so. I think they're just telling you um, what IH that IH is one of them. I because I because it's it's tests and it's tests and uh, it's tests and then it's independent historian because most of the items on there are about tests and then the other item that's on there is independent historian. That's the way I one or the other either three right. And you can combine the different things. You know, if you have three tests you're ordering, or if you have two tests you're ordering and another separate one that you're reviewing, it's 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 all a combination of however you combine them. And then you also have the option there of independent historian if you need to use it. As one of them. Okay, so not three from category one and also independent historian on top of it. It's just that's not the way I understand it. Um, because it does say it's a combination of any of those things. You have to have three of those things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's the way I would, I, I interpret it myself. <laughs> that's the way I'm going to put it myself in the real world. Otherwise, uh, there wouldn't be very many moderates if you had to have an independent historian every time, right? Yeah, I mean, because you're not going to every time. You're, I mean, that's going to be, most patients are going to give their own history. So, um, 
it would probably be very specialty specific if you have if you see patients that regularly have to have a caregiver come with them because they're not going to be a good historian then that may happen more frequently in that kind of clinic or that office but uh, most of the time the patients are going to be given their own history um, and you're going to have to rely strictly on your data yeah that makes sense thank you for going over that yeah, I mean, I hope it makes sense. Um, but when um, I think you were coming on and then um, Mishy uh, came on, I was explaining something that I want to reiterate um, to I'm explaining to Deb because she had a question about the interpreter. So I wanted to, um, because there have been um, people out there, other educators that have thought maybe it was okay. And I'm not going to say yes or no, but the way my thought process goes is that, it, that an interpreter is not an independent historian because they're just restating what the patient is saying. So they don't count, they're not trying to fill in the gaps for the history. They're not there because the patient can't give a history. They're just basically there to interpret what the patient's actually saying. Right, yeah, I agree. So that's the, what I wanted to clarify. If, if you hear anywhere out there that that's okay for that, I don't agree with that, <laughs> that that's allowed for an independent historian. Um, but I just wanna make that clear, that's the way I interpret it and that I think most would as well based on the definition of um, an independent historian. Um, so let's go back and uh, on this table as well, I think was nice because, uh, and this is from some of the AAPC education too, but they do, the nice thing about this, they give you actual examples. If you have an old audit sheet, like from another organization that we're using now, I would keep it handy because they did have examples in the, in the risk table that are still valid. So if you need examples, get out your old audit sheet, look at the risk table, because right now for the straightforward and low, you don't really have examples there if you need some. So use their old audit sheet, very similar um, examples that you're, you can use. Let's see, oh, I have a question. Oh, no, you did. I just think um, as people were signing on, um, you didn't miss a lot. I just, um, I, before I started recording, <laughs> um, I think we were talking about a question that I had gotten emailed. So you didn't miss uh, much. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I did start when you came on. I just uh, was talking to Deb and I was like, I want to reiterate what we talked about because I think it might help everybody. Okay. Let me see. Go back to my main screen here. I'm gonna go back to that audit sheet because I wanna share the definitions. I think it's worth our time. We've got a few minutes left. Um, I think it would be great to just kind of review some of these definitions together. Um, so again, uh, one of the things that I think is, is good to review is that self-limited or minor problem. Um, to me, that means that it's a temporary nature they don't, um, it's a problem, a minimal problem is one that doesn't require a provider, but they're there, to, they're there. So they went to the office, they had a sprained ankle. I've nursed a sprained ankle myself at home, but that's also an acute and complicated injury. So, I mean, if you can get that, then use it that way. But there's a lot of things that fall under minimal that you can do at home that you don't need a physician for, but you go to the physician <laughs> um, because you want that added, you know, what's the word, <laughs> peace of mind that the physician's telling you, you're okay, you're gonna be fine. So that's a self-limited, a minor problem. Or a temporary nature, it's not gonna really alter their health status. Stable chronic, now we know chronic conditions, you know, diabetes, CKD, 
things that people have for at least a year that they're going to have most likely until the, till their death. Um, those are chronic conditions. A patient that is not at their treatment goal is not stable. So look for items. If they say stable, that's great. Um, and look for words in the documentation that would indicate that they're stable. If you're not sure, you can query the physician if you, if you need that added backup to confirm that's what you, you think. Um, they give you examples, well-controlled hypertension. So they'll say well-controlled, um, non-insulin dependent. So they're not on insulin, so they're probably fine. They're stable. And then an acute and complex injury there. And then chronic illness with exacerbation. So is it worsening? Is it poorly controlled, uncontrolled? Is there a progression of, of, of that? That's a chronic with exacerbation, progression, or side effects of treatment. Um, it doesn't require consideration of hospital level of care, though. Undiagnosed new problem. That's the one I like. It's my favorite <laughs> because it gets me to moderate if I can use it. So I like that one. Um, a problem is the differential diagnosis that re represents a condition likely to result of a high risk of morbidity. Now, I don't know if any of you watch the show House. I used to watch it all the time. It was my favorites as a new coder. I love to like of course, I didn't like all the HIPAA violations that they had on the show, <laughs> but um, one of the things that he would always say is, let's do the differential. And so I learned that. And so what they're doing is they're just talking out scenarios, right? They're just sh shouting out like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. They have no idea what the patient has. So they have to run tests. And so that is undiagnosed new problem. That's how my mind thinks about that item there. <laughs> do they know what the patient actually has? Um, acute illness with systemic symptoms. So acute, remember that's less than a year, so it's, it's a more recent condition. Try to think of the difference between acute versus chronic. Um, and so they have uh, systemic symptoms. So it's gonna be symptoms that affect that whole system, most likely. So that whole system is going to be affected. So pyelonephritis, that's inflammation, the kidney area, pneumonitis, that's in the lung, and then colitis. So know your terminology, what system are we looking at? Is this condition going to affect that entire system? Um, acute complicated injury. So a head injury is given as an example with brief loss of consciousness. That is acute because it's recent, right? And it's complicated, it can be complicated. If they've lost consciousness, um, there is additional testing that has to be done to see if there was, if they've really um, injured themselves and what the prognosis could be, could be serious. Um, and so that's an example of that. Multiple fractures, you know, trauma. <laughs> trauma surgeons would definitely use this acute complicated injury item a lot if um, they were um, seeing a patient in the, and um, especially in the um, ER, another example I wanna bring out, you will see this. Hospital physicians will still use these codes because Medicare for years has not let consulting physicians use consult codes. So they are forced to use the 99202-5 in the outpatient setting because the ER is an outpatient setting. So if they're seeing them in the ER, they can't bill an ED code, they have to bill a consult code. So um, that is an indication when you're gonna have to use that. If they're in the outpatient setting and they're not the admitting doctor, they still have to use those codes. They can't use a consult code for Medicare. So just keep that in mind. Your, if your doctor goes to the ER or he goes and sees a patient in observation and he's not the admitting doctor, he has to use those codes. So that's sometimes you will see trauma um, docs that, that use these codes. Uh, let's see here. 
chronic illness with severe exacerbation. So the word severe is there, but just think about what um, that would mean. May require hospitalization. Chronic illness. Um, COPD, well, no, even right now, we're seeing a lot of patients um, that are having complications, especially if they, they contract COVID, um, that makes them uh, more susceptible for um, progression or severe um, side effects. Um, they already have COPD, it's a chronic illness, and then they have this respiratory problems that makes them have to get hospitalized. Um, so they have a significant risk of morbidity. Um, let's see here. And then going to the data section, let's just look at some of these. External records um, from an external provider, facility, or healthcare organization. It's not somebody in your clinic or your specialty, um, it's somebody outside of that. Different specialty, different um, facility. Uh, let's see here. Independent historian, we've kind of covered this, haven't we? So you have that definition there pretty clear on that one. Independent interpretation, so again, Make sure your provider is actually interpreting somebody he's not ordering. It's something that somebody else did. They're, they're interpreting the results themselves, and they do have to give us an interpretation. <laughs> they cannot say, I interpreted the results. Okay, well, what are they? <laughs> what did you find? <laughs> give us those results. Um, the word appropriate source. So for the purposes of discussion of data, an appropriate source is individuals who are not healthcare professionals, but may be involved in the management of the patient. It gives you examples of that. A lawyer, case manager, a lot of times work comp patients come with a case manager with them to the office. And so that is who they're discussing things with. It does not include discussion with family or for informal caregivers. Uh, SDOH, social determinants of health, very important. I, I always highlight this myself because I'm a risk educator and I think it's very important um, that we look at this and I'm so glad it's on the moderate section. Sometimes physicians don't think about these other things that they can actually use for coding purposes. And now with ICD-10-21 highlighting that change in the guidelines this year, patients can self-identify their social determinants of health and the provider can put those in the record and use them for coding purposes. So we want to make sure we're educating providers. Um, it includes food and housing insecurity, safety and welfare risks, unemployment, inadequate education. All of those things are social determinants of health. They affect their health. And even smoking, like secondary smoke, all that stuff, it's a social factor. Remember when we look at our social, uh, our, uh, social history, um, as part of the history component, we see a lot of those things. That is called social determinants of health. A lot of those things that we find there are part of that. There are Z codes. So again, make sure we actually, if we're going to use it, make sure we also code the Z code in the diagnosis section. That's important. And lastly, I want to highlight the drug requiring toxicity monitoring. Um, this isn't just any drug. <laughs> it has to be a drug that actually clinically requires monitoring the levels for toxicity. Coumadin is a good example. They have to regularly come in the office to have that level monitored. Um, and I think the one um, website that I like, it's the Medicare Mac, um, I think it's Palmetto. They have a list. It's not a full list, but it's a, a decent sized list that will give you um, certain medications um, that are considered um, needing to be monitored for toxicity levels. Um, because that is on um, you know, a higher level code, you wanna make sure you're using that one appropriately. Because if you're 
I mean, most of the time the auditor is not going to know why you coded it a certain way. They're going to code it like they see it. But if you want to challenge them and if you want to appeal that decision, you need to be well versed. And if you're writing that appeal letter, be able to say, this is why I coded this way. This is why we feel that this level is appropriate. And so know um, how to respond if you have to appeal a decision. Um, and then, of course, our next class, um, we're going to, of course, I think we already had the time lecture in there. Um, uh, we had a huge storm today <laughs> or yesterday. So I was like, it was crazy. And so my throat was kind of scratchy this morning and I just could not record. <laughs> so I'm going to have the prolonged care and the last lecture recorded tomorrow. So you should be all caught up and we're still going to meet together, but you won't have to wait on me anymore to record the online lectures. You can watch them over and over again, as many times as you need to. And remember, you can schedule time with me privately um, if you need that as well. That's also an option uh, through the end of the course. Um, so um, we have until, I'm, I'm giving people, as far as that goes, um, until March. Um, we're gonna give you that time to schedule with me. I mean, of course, I, you know, it's gotta kind of cut it off somewhere. So I'm cutting off March for private tutoring, but you have until then if you have questions. But again, you have until the all of 2021 to have the information. Um, and I will be adding things, you know, um, remotely, you're gonna be able to get on there and see updates as they come out. I'm gonna be updating the course as I get new updates. So it's gonna be a constant flow of information um, even after we're done with the course. So you're gonna see updates, you're gonna see new stuff. Um, and I did meet with the AMA, as I mentioned to some of you um, this week, and I'm signing the contract to license more, more, more curriculum. Um, so it's going to have a lot of more interactive things, a lot more um, cases to work. And then the fun thing is the um, AMA Knowledge Center, which I'm really excited about. Um, I talked to my rep today. She said there's four, at least 4,000 people she looks at that have access to Knowledge per Center per day. Like there's a lot of coders that access it. And so what they do is they type a question and somebody will answer it. And you can have access to all those questions um, you know, with the course. So that's what I'm, I'm working on for us, getting us access to that. Um, and so that particularly one, if you want it, it's $35. And that, that's a really cheap <laughs> add-on <laughs> to have all of that information. Um, you will get um, with the course, a lot of information included, but that one item is, is going to be a $35 additional. I know some of you have reached out that you want to do that. So I'll get you access, um, you know, when I get that available. I'm hoping they can roll it out quickly because there's so much there I want you guys to have um, that I'm waiting on them to give me. <laughs> um, do you have any questions before we, um, we end tonight? Okay, so next class, since it's going to, the time uh, chapter was kind of short, um, but I do plan on going over a couple of the cases uh, if we need to, some of the longer ones, but the time one is going to be pretty straightforward, right? It's the time, but the prolonged care has some um, cases that might be worth considering. Um, we have the new 99417 code, um, and we have the new G code, so my uh, lecture is going to talk about those. So. If you haven't um, seen the Medicare um, final rule, they did talk about that G code, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, and the 99417 and, the, and when to use those. 
Okay, well, thank you guys. And if you have any more questions, please reach out to me. I hope you have a good evening and we will, we'll chat on here in a couple weeks. And um, but in between that, reach out to me with any questions that you have. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, have a good night. You too.